the Dive into Reiki podcast. I'm Natalie, and together we will enjoy a series of conversations that explore the journey of Reiki practitioners and teachers from all lineages. 100% Reiki-focused stories, 100% human. Hi, and welcome to the Dive into Reiki podcast. I'm your host, Natalie, and today your guest is Oliver Drews. He's a Reiki master practitioner based in Germany. He came across Reiki practice in 2010, completed the first and second level of Western-style Reiki in 2011. In 2015 and 16, he learned the first three levels of training of the Gendai Reiki Ho School. In autumn 2016, he completed once more the master teacher training directly with the founder of the Gendai Reiki method, Hiroshi Doi, and he did so in Japan. Oliver is also the founder of Holistica, a book imprint that has published the work of Doi Sensei in German-speaking countries, as well as Frank Glazer and Franz Tien translation of the inner heart of Reiki. He actually was the translator of that book from Franz Tien. In addition to teaching Reiki, Oliver gives lectures at organizations such as the Pro Reiki Regional Group in Cologne, Germany, the Annual Congress of Professional Association Pro Reiki, and the Reiki Convention, among others. And we have a wonderful conversation about his origin story, Reiki and publishing, how to deepen our practice, uh, what the core Reiki practice is for him, and so much more wisdom. Without further ado, I'll leave you with Oliver and a wonderful interview. Oliver, thank you so much for accepting my invitation and joining this conversation. Well, I have to thank you. Perfect. So I like to start every uh, Reiki interview with the origin story, that uh, the reason that you either started studying Reiki or the first time you experienced Reiki. Okay. Well, my Reiki way began when I was uh, very young. That was, well, circumstances brought me to Reiki. Began with a funeral of my great-grandfather. Um, at this time, I had a very special experience um, I thought that I had seen him. So we all have been at the cemetery. And this was at the south of Germany on a hill. The sun was very strong. And suddenly I had the impression that I have seen him and that he had seen me. And at that moment, I lost consciousness. And my father saved me from falling. And all the years later, I said, I had the impression that I've seen him. I never said I have seen him. I didn't want to be a liar. So I was never sure whether I really saw him or not. And this, well, occupied my mind for more than 25 years. And then in 2006, my parents gave me a phone call that there was a lady on the television. She was uh, bringing people back to former lives, but as well to experiences in their childhood. And they told me that could be a chance for me to review what I experienced. So I came in contact with this lady and uh, finally she invited me to a training. And to my surprise, I got um, it as a gift from her. I thought it was just an evening where all my questions would be answered, but it was the training to become a, a practitioner in regression therapy. And um, it was a nice experience. I could bring people back to their former lives, but it has not been able to do this with me. I was not um, able to give up the control. I needed to be more relaxed. So I decided to go to uh, Paracelsus Healing Practitioners School in Germany, where I could learn more about relaxment um, methods to become more relaxed and get this experience. And exactly there has been advertisement for Reiki. So I was very interested what this about healing with hands sounded interesting. And I went to the south of Germany because there was one seminar just one or two weeks later. It's always made me, when I'm interested in something, I'm not looking when is something nearby and this could be in autumn. I just want to do it right now. So I went to the south of Germany, and it was my first Reiki seminar. I'm still in contact and friendship with this teacher. But it was not the pure Reiki that I could experience. It was a mixture of Reiki and healing with gemstones. So I decided I was more interested in the pure Reiki. 
I changed the teacher and then I taught myself in a seminar, which was a mixture of Reiki and healing with angels. This was not the pure Reiki I was looking for either. So I decided to continue my Reiki way when there would be the right time and I would have found the right teacher or lady teacher. So in 2013, I went to London to the Arthur Findlay College because I wanted to more know about mediumship and this experience that I had with um, the vision of my great-grandfather. And there we learned a special um, scanning method and I had the experience that I could see problems, pains of people. It was very extraordinary. And I went to the tutor and said, oh, I have seen. He said, no, stop, Oliver, just get used to it. You have not seen, you have been shown. That's a big difference. But anyway, it's a gift and you should think about what to do with it. And then I said, well, if this is a gift, um, maybe it's the right time to continue my way with Reiki and more dedicate myself to healing again. So in Germany, I've been looking for a new teacher in school and I found a teacher in uh, Cologne, not far from where I live. And then everything, well, was like in a flow. I got the chance to go to Japan after that to learn from Hiroshi Doi himself. I had the chance to translate his books. Then later I had the chance to be speaker at different events and even got to know Franz Diener personally. And with him, I had the chance to organize trips to Japan and everything just in the flow was so different than, than before. And um, though that was my contact and how I got into Reiki. Later, my mother told me that she had an experience that her grandfather, that was my great-grandfather, saved our family from uh, accident. She saw him and he made signs not to do certain things in the traffic. And so we had no accidents. And telling me that experience was so much more easy for me to accept my experience that any regression therapy or experience, uh, I didn't need any more. It was so sure, so clear for me that these things can happen and I accepted this. But anyway, it brought me to Reiki and where I am today. I, I love that. And I love the fact that actually, you know, so understanding that it's more normal and it runs in the family made you feel better. And you told me you studied with eight Reiki masters, right? And I wanted to ask a little bit, um, if you will advise people to also try different Reiki masters and what gift gave you uh, studying with so many different teachers? Um, well, as mentioned, first, I was looking for the pure Reiki. It was fantastic to make a combination, um, healing stones, gemstone, this is nice. But I think if someone is doing this in a treatment, it's great. But um, if you tell students about this, it's like giving the association that Reiki power wouldn't be strong enough, that it would require healing stones. Well, that was not my way. And the same with angels. So there I had already the need to see it from a different point of view to go to a different teacher. So Gendai Reiki was for me more the Japanese perspective. And I even wanted to go even more to the roots. Um, the style that I'm teaching and that I learned from Hiroshi Doi is nice. It's a combination of the Western and the traditional Reiki. So you have, for example, working with chakra. It's a great tool and it's nice, but it's not the Japanese original way. Chakra comes from India. So I was more looking what more pure more back to the root Reiki teacher would there be. So that was how I found uh, Franz Diener. And I really appreciate his style and his teaching. He himself is learning from priests in Japan still today to see this more from a different background. I mean, it has always been said that you don't need to be a Buddhist, that you don't need to know much about um, an esoteric Buddhism that you can have any religion, that's clear. But you have a bigger, greater understanding if you see it from this base. As we don't have the Japanese culture, um, there are some things we have to be explained to understand what was meant by this, how is this. 
So this was how I came to the first four teachers. And then I said, okay, let's have a look at other styles. And I wanted to have a look at um, Jikiden Reiki. So a friend of mine is a student. He became Genda Reiki Ho teacher by me. And I studied Jikiden from him. So that was a quite of interchange. Well, that was even a different point of view. There are many similarities, but some things are uh, quite different. And then I had the chance to see a Reiki style of Chris March. And um, so I took every chance to see different teachers and different styles. And I think this is something that's okay. There are some teachers that are very strict and say, if you learn from me, it's only me and my style. And maybe even my style is better and don't look at others. But I mean, if you're going to school, you have a teacher for English, you have a teacher for mathematics, you have a teacher for biology. So all these disciplines, you, you get knowledge from different teachers. And why not in, in Reiki? I mean, Reiki has the same origin Every teacher has his own way. Um, Hiroshi Doi, for example, he's comparing Reiki with climbing the Mount Fuji. Of course, every culture has his uh, pictures and the Japanese have their Mount Fuji. So he says, climbing the Mount Fuji and Reiki is similar. You can, first of all, go until the middle and you decide just to be in the healthy zone. But then you can continue and can do the spiritual part. And when you get at the top, you may reach Anshin Ritsumi, which is the state of inner happiness, inner calmness. So there are many teachers and there are many guides. So every guide has his own group to bring them at the top of Mount Fuji. And every has his own way. Maybe one way is more straight. Maybe the other way has more viewpoints to have an overview. Um, maybe one is more exhausting, one is more relaxed, but all teachers, all guides have their different routes to go to the top of the mountain. And the same with the Reiki teachers. All of them guide students, bring them to the top, bring them to a point to reach Anshin Ritsumi with a way they detected for themselves to be a good one. So that's, that's quite similar. And there's no better. It's, it's all alternative based on the same origin. I love that. And I love also beyond the metaphor, but something you did um, a little bit before about sharing your Gendai and you sat with someone from Jikiden and you exchanged knowledge because I, I feel in our community, sometimes we separate each other, your Gendai, your Jikiden, your Usui, Riki, Ryoko, whatever. And we, instead of coming together and sitting, how do you practice and learning from each other, we really bring sometimes a lot of separation. So I think that is a fantastic advice for people to really open up and, and share their experiences. Yeah, with uh, that friend um, I had for a couple of time um, a meeting every month. So my students were coming, his students were coming, and we had a Reiki interchange. And someone new asked me to come he said, ah, I'm not um, very happy with the Jikiden. I, I'm, I don't want to deal with that. And I said, well, sorry, this is my friend. We do this in cooperation. And we want to make something clear that it's not one style against the other style. We're doing this together. We're one Reiki family. You can see Mikao Usui at the founder and then compare it with a big tree. He is the root. And then from the tree, there are many branches, many leaves. So this is a picture like a family. So all of this are like cousins. I have personally in my life cousins. They're doing quite different things. They have different occupations, but we are from one family. So it's the same with Reiki. It's not one against the other or one better than the other. And if there is a possibility for cooperation, I think it's even offering um, the students and the participants um, the people participating uh, a better understanding that it, it's a community, it's a whole, it's, um, something that makes it complete and it, that it is allowed to see something from different viewpoint. 
Love that. And you said another thing, uh, the traveling to Japan. So it happened the same to me when I traveled to Japan. I really felt I understood Reiki to another level. But you actually are the organizer of trips to Japan where you take Reiki practitioners from the whole world and bring them uh, through a tour of Japan of Mikao Sui's way and experience different things. So I wanted to ask you a little bit, why, why do you see there is so much value in, in going to Japan in experiencing, for example, kaji and other rituals and a little bit of how you came to organize these tours? Um, well, when I was um, having my first Reiki seminar, um, after that, the teacher offered me to choose between different rose quartz stones. That was a tradition in his style. And I choose one, and it was, it was having the form like a pyramid, but not with four, but with three sides. But on one side, there was a little part disturbing. And I said, why did I take this one? Um, I'm a perfectionist. And it could be so perfect if this part wouldn't have been there. <laughs> and then there was like a big voice saying, Oliver, exactly this stone is for you to always remember you to take things as they are and not as you want them to have. And I was really surprised looking around who was that, who was speaking with me. It was really an experience. And in that time, I had dreams. And one of that dream was that um, I was found myself in Japan organizing trip for people from all over the world. But the interesting thing was that they learned Reiki and had a seminar with a Western teacher. And when I woke up, I said, well, that's strange. If ever in the future I would bring people to Japan to learn Reiki there in the country of origin, of course, I would look for a Japanese teacher. Why should I have a Western teacher teaching Western people in Japan? That does not make sense. <laughs> so 15, 15 years later, more or less, when um, I have been there with uh, friends, I said, oh, stop, that's that exactly what I've been dreaming of. So it, it came true. I was not thinking of this all the time. It was not a target for me. But when I found myself there with the group, I said, oh, okay, I remember that dream. Ah, oh, that's, that's interesting. And it came that, first of all, after having been in the class of Hiroshi Doi in 2016, I wanted to organize uh, trips to Japan, including a seminar with Doi. And I wanted to translate from English into German for my group. And it happened that the schedule from November was changed to September because there was an unveiling ceremony of a special memorial stone that Hiroshi Doi had put in the birth town of Mikao Sui. And though the plans changed, I couldn't go in November. The American group was going in September and later Hiroshi Doi said, oh, I don't know if I will do this the next year. I'm born in 1935. I'm quite advanced in age. I'm not sure. And that was the point to look uh, for alternative. And then I came into discussion with uh, friends to say, well, let's do this together. I have everything organized. And I had already organized that experience as I organized trip to, to India and Sri Lanka and Bali for people um, being interested in spirituality. So I already had um, the experience how to do that, what to care for. And with friends, I had great combination. So many of his students joined us. And in 2019, we had a wonderful group with people from New Zealand, Australia, the UK, from Italy, and most of them from the US. And it was an experience to be in the country of origin for them, to practice Reiki there. I think, especially when you find yourself on Mount Kurama or even Mount Tihai, which is the origin of Buddhism in Japan, it's really a different energy. You can feel it there on the mountain with every step you make, every breath you take. It's so much of that original energy and it, it makes different. And the other aspect was that it was so nice that people from all over the world has been forming one group there to 
see and understand we're doing something all over the world. We are part of a community, not only in our local town, not only in our country, in our continent, but, but everywhere. And friendships um, started between the seminar takers, between Japanese Reiki master that I presented in a meeting with Hiroshi Doi. So it was a network that was there um, starting. And that was a great for me as an organizer to see that. And um, I think to do this as a kind of pilgrimage to see where Mikao Usui went to school, where he lived, um, what the history of this town, how everything developed, um, gives you such a better understanding. You have the pictures and later in your class as a teacher, you can show the students, look, this is where he went to school. This is uh, where his uh, grandfather and uncle had um, the sake uh, manufacturing. So you can teach from your own experience. I think this as well makes a difference. Normally as a teacher, depending on where you learned, you teach what you have learned. So it's an indirect knowledge. It's the experience that someone else made. But if you're in Japan and if you're experiencing this yourself, if you're meditating on Mount Kurama, if you found the energy, if you're on the same place, it's your direct experience that you're teaching. And even this is making a difference. No, I, I love that. And there is, and for me, direct experience sometimes is going to Japan and sometimes it's doing the work on your butt if you're in Idaho or Germany. But there is something very special about being there and for me, understanding the simplicity, the power of the simplicity of Reiki versus complicating it. And that takes a little bit what you were saying at the beginning, right? We start with angels, crystals. But when you sit in Japan, you really feel with your whole body, mind, soul that you don't need to complicate it. I think that was the most happening yeah. for me. Like you just need to breathe and be present. Yeah, absolutely. And you had a great story also from one of your trips to Japan, because I also feel like in the U.S. we think Reiki in Japan is better, Reiki in Europe is better, and like in hospitals, and you were like with other Reiki masters, right? And it was a funny story about Japan, Germany, and the U.S. and Reiki in hospitals. I would love for you if you can share it. Yeah, that was a nice uh, story. So um, people of my group from the U.S., came into contact with a Japanese Reiki master that I presented. And they said, ah, oh, it's uh, so different here in Japan. Reiki is so well accepted and you're doing this in every hospital. It's so much different. And the people said, no, that's not really the case. We are fighting for acceptance. It's not in every hospital. Um, it's just a case in Germany. There they do this really in every hospital and it's so well accepted. I said, well, no, not, not really. There are some hospitals who are um, doing Reiki, but um, um, it's, it's not common. It's not in every hospital and um, it's not accepted everywhere. It's more and more uh, popular. But we in Germany read that it's the case in the U.S. that you have so many hospitals working with Reiki and it's so much well accepted. So this was like a circle. Every one of us was believing that it would be the case in, in another country. So it's a great vision for the future that all over the world it is so much more accepted and gets standard therapy in a hospital. But... Um, at the moment, we had to experience that it was more um, a wish and a dream <laughs> than the reality. It is, but, but we're, we're moving ahead, hopefully. And I know this is not a part of the pre-interview, but now that we're talking about this, and because of all your experience, you also work in publishing with Reiki books. If you had advice for people so we can actually make Reiki a little bit more respected and accepted uh, in the community in general, what would that be? Um, to understand your question well, you, you're asking what books to recommend or what... Um, like, because you communicate a lot about Reiki, so we're talking about Reiki's not always being accepted or like sometimes people, as you say in hospitals, it's like, oh, no, Reiki, no. 
what would you advise Reiki practitioners to behave or to do in order for Reiki to be more accepted either in hospitals or in community centers in our countries? Um, okay, I see. Um, well, I think there is a teaching in Gendai with Shirashi Doi saying, he's saying, focus on Reiki, be aware of that energy, be with it, but do the best you can and leave the rest to the universe. And I think it's the same. We can, of course, have the targets to have this more accepted, to have this more in hospitals. We can talk about this with our friends, with our relatives. We don't have to hide. It's something great. It's a gift. But um, we cannot force it. So it will come by the time. So I think there are some lessons from the universe everyone has. And this is uh, one of this is patience. So we just need to be patient. And I think in the next years and decades, it will develop. And what we can do, every one of us, is really, really come to the core of Reiki. I mean, hands-on healing is great. Self-treatment is fantastic. But for me, the core is uh, the precepts. So if you really focus on that, if you're aware of this, if you integrate this into your daily life, not to be angry, not to worry, and to be thankful in the way that you attract things before they come. So that's like a secret. There are some people writing books about orders from the universe. Many of them fail and they ask themselves, why is that? So normally you get something and after having received it, you are thankful. But the secret, I think, is first of all being thankful. And then with the law of resonance, you attract exactly this into your life. So be aware of um, your frequency, be aware of your thoughts, because you're attracting exactly more of that. So if you are in a mood of being thankful and have your inner peace, you get more of that. And I think if everyone is more dedicating herself to the precepts, sharing this knowledge, integrating this into his life, then automatically we have a different understanding of each other, different communication with each other, and finally, even how we treat, treat our environment, our planet, the respect between others and all beings. And I think that makes difference. So we are a bit like a light in, in the darkness if we are caring for Reiki. The people who never had uh, any experience see us and ask, why are you that kind of person? Why are you behaving like this? What are the things you're convinced of? So we come into a discussion and we can just be an example and then make other people curious about how understanding is and maybe if they're open, share with them. I adore what you just said. And there is a specific part that I think is so important uh, about the Reiki precepts as an awareness tools for what's going on with yourself versus like something to follow kind of a commandment. And I, I just really find it like that point of view of exploration versus fixing and controlling very, very lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yes. I, again, because I think a lot of us see Reiki as a thing for the massage table, but, you know, integrating in daily life, it's, it's beautiful. And since we're talking about your life, I would love to know, like, if you had what, like, something beautiful Reiki practice gave you in your life, what would that be? Um, Reiki really is um, a gift. Um, I think it's so nice to work with it. It's so nice to teach this to other people, see what uh, difference change it makes into their lives. Um, they tell me about experiences that they have with their family, with their health. And this is such a nice feedback that's really so worth um, teaching this and, and practicing this. 
That is beautiful. And as a teacher, because in is my head is doing closing the loop of where we started, right? So when you started, um, you studied there were angels and crystals, and you wanted the pure Reiki. Uh, but you also yeah. have a lot of like by yourself, like innate medium chip and other like other gifts as well. So as a teacher, how did you decide to really also keep it clean and how do you handle your mediumship side? Um, well, because most of us will already be mixing it all together and creating Oliver's Reiki and Natalie's Reiki, right? Um, yes, I think these are um, experiences, personal experience. So when I'm teaching, for example, Gendai Reiki, then I'm teaching just Gendai Reiki. And I tell the people there are other teachers and they have different points of view. Maybe, for example, that's here the case, that they're the case. But um, at that moment, I'm, I'm focusing on their teachings to give the pure um, content of the style to them. Um, if I'm teaching with what I've learned from friends, he's more working with the Hara, um, less with Chakra, then it's a different teacher. So it's like, um, of course, I can show them from the experience I have that I learned from different teachers, different uh, points of view. But I tell them always, though, this is the pure style. This is the pure teaching. Apart from that, you have this indifference. But if you as a teacher are teaching this style or that style, keep it clean. Don't mix it. Of course, everybody is free to finally create a new style. But um, I think if you just um, keep it clean, then it can survive in this original nature. I think there is a, um, well, it's not a threat, but if everybody means to invent something more, create something new just for having his name or his style name, it's possibly more a aspect of the ego and not really the Reiki motivation to, to share them. So I think whatever you teach, you have the pure style and you can show the students what apart from that. Yeah. So that's, I don't yeah. know if I've got clear. That, that's a great answer. I think it's super clear. And, and I think also the ego part is, is very important, right? Like sometimes we have a spiritual practice. It doesn't mean our ego is always, you know, under control. So sometimes, you know, and I, I like the same. I like very much the traditional, but I think it was a great answer. Thank you. Well, I, I think to the people, they don't need to expect anything. If they heard that in a attunement, people had some um, impressions or visions, they shouldn't be disappointed when they did not have this. They, they should come without any expectation. And then it's even so much more worse if something happens or they experience something. And I think it's the same with Reiki. There are people who have... Uh, quite good access they're connected to the spiritual world so they can use it so some of them then in a treatment have the feeling that their the hand is attracted to where it is required others might hear like a voice saying well look for the knee as well or care for the shoulder so they get a different um, inspiration. So every person is different and every treatment is different. And depending on that, it's not that you need to be a medium or that you need to work with mediumship. It's independent from Reiki. You can have it. It's an advantage, but it's not a disadvantage if you don't have it. And many things develop by the time. So the more you're doing Reiki, the more treatments you give, the more self-treatments you have, you're more in that energy, the more things change and, um, well, develop you as a person and uh, advance that whole thing. I think you said two very important things. One is expectations getting off the way of experiencing the practice. And the other thing that there is one practice, if we want to talk about the pure Reiki, but we all will express it in different ways. 
but that that is a little bit also the nature of humanity, right? We're one source expressing many, many billions of individualities, but that doesn't mean we need to change the essence per se. We're just different expressions of it. I think that's very beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you had one tip, because expectations are really hard, as you say, we go into the attunement, we have so many expectations that many times that's what stands in the way of our experience. Uh, how do you yourself try to control your expectations from the practice or from life in general? Um, well, sometimes you tell the students you have an intention there's something that you would like to reach with Reiki. Um, if you care for a disease, you want to give people um, help, support. Um, that's an intention, but you don't need to fo focus so much on it. So in Japanese, it's the nen, so the willing to do something. So on the one side, you have an intention to do something. On the other side, you should do this without any intention. So sometimes it's difficult to understand. So I think it's important to have a target to say, I want to reach this for my client, but then to, well, not forget it, but not to focus so much on it. So just to let the Reiki energy flow and work. Once the target is defined, it's good. But to think all the time about the target is not that good. It might disattract you from just being a channel and just letting Reiki flow. So once the target is set, it's good. And then just let the Reiki energy flow and do its work. You are not the one to do something. You're just one to channel the energy. And in the end, it's the person who heals himself. We're just creating room where um, the Reiki energy can work and where all this can happen, but we are not responsible for the success of it. I, I, I love what you say, because I think most of us fall in extreme and I'm first guilty. Either we, we want to control a little bit too much the outcome or we're like totally unaccountable, right? We're just like, yeah, whatever happens. I think, as you said, it's a really a balance of aiming in the right direction and then letting go. It's almost like archery in a way. You know, you point, you aim, and then you let that arrow go and do its work. Yeah, absolutely. No, that is, that is a great because, and again, as you said that, it takes times in a practice to really uh, feel it with your whole body because at the beginning we have it with the head, but I think it, people also have to really be compassionate towards themselves because it becomes easier as we practice for years. The beginning, you know, it's, it's okay to struggle with it a little bit as well. Yeah, I think an important advice is not to give up. So if you have had a seminar one, to just continue, to read your manual again, to practice, 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 and don't stop practicing. So you have to go on with that, to be in it. Um, I think that's a challenge for some people. The, in these times, many people have a seminar here, a seminar there, want to have more knowledge from this, from that. All There are so many different aspects that you can learn, but if you just focus on that and keep practicing and don't stop practicing, integrate this in your life, I think this is the main key to finally reach something in the end. I adore that. And I wish I had done that my first two, three years of practice, but you know, and that's another thing like practice. Sometimes it takes a year or two to have a daily practice, but you know, not to give up. I think that is also, if I had probably a quote from today is like, do not give up because we give up Reiki so easily when it doesn't work the way we expect, you know, that easy fixing. Uh, I want to change gears a little bit because we don't have that much time left. And there are a couple of things I wanted to touch base on. And the first one is that you also are a publisher of books about spirituality. So a lot of people want to write their own Reiki books. So if you have any advice, okay, what is trending in terms of Reiki? What, how is the publishing world of Reiki right now? Well, um, the whole publishing world changed a lot in the last 10, 15 years. 
I started with books, not Reiki books, but I have two publishing houses at the moment. And with the one, the first I started in 2002. So these are nearly 20 years of experience in that market. And then I had the second editorial or publishing house because the readers have been so different. First one was about uh, keeping animals and pets in your house. And the other one was about spirit, spirituality. So two different kind of readers. So I decided to have two different uh, publishing houses. And, and now from, from colleagues that have been writing Reiki books successfully in the past, 10 years ago, um, they wrote a book. It was successful. They sold 20, 30,000 pieces. Then they had a second, third edition, up to eight different ones. And this is um, quite different today. So even the most successful authors of Reiki books, many of them I know personally, in the first year, they're happy if they reach a quantity of maybe 500 books. So these are not the numbers we are used from the past. And the challenge is if you are printing something, I mean, not the book-on-demand thing. Um, book-on-demand is nice if you want to have something that you say, I have written a book. It's more legal motivation or that kind. You can do book-on-demand, yeah, but you can never get it to the wholesale markets, to the bookshops, because you have to give a discount to them. And this discount is so big that in the end, the printing costs are higher than the discount you give. So it's absolutely impossible to work in a professional way with book on demand. You can just have this as a hobby. You can have it as a personal satisfaction, but it's not really that you can sell a quantity and um, cover your costs. So if you do the professional way, that means you need to print books, to print means quantity. So you have the printing machines running and that's the most um, expensive thing. If they are ones running, if in the end you print 2,000 copies or 3,000 copies, that does not make the price difference. Just to keep the machine running, that's the main cost. So if you divide the total costs in the end to the quantity you have made, then of course, the more books printed, the more um, attractive is the price for one. And my experience is I need to print at least two, 3,000 books that I have a price that's good enough to give this to the wholesale and book shops. But in the end, it means if you're just um, selling quantities of 500 a year, you need six years to have all of them sold. You need to store them in the warehouse. So, well, sometimes with other books, you're more successful, you have higher quantities, but especially Reiki is difficult. Yes, um, just, this, this year, just this year, I've been speaking with many bookshops and said, you have not one Reiki book in your shelf. Why is that? And he said, well, it's not popular at the moment. At the moment, we sell books about yoga, about yoga nitra, about yin yoga, so this is asked, but Reiki, mm, this is a thing of the past. It's not popular. It's not fashion at the moment. So for me, Reiki is not something uh, about popularity, fashion. It's still important these days. But that's the thinking of many shop owners that they just have one trend after the other trend. At the moment, it's that. The next year, it will be another one. And Reiki is something that they have been selling successfully in the past. But most of them are not really interested to have this in their shelves at the moment. So it's quite um, difficult to do pro Reiki book projects at this moment, at least from my experience here in the German market, which includes German-speaking countries like Austria and Switzerland as well. Maybe it might be different than um, other parts of the world, but from what I got to know, 
that's the case. No, I, I appreciate your answer because like, I think it's also great for people to know you can write your book, just don't expect to become a best or a millionaire. But uh, you know, if you want to write it, go ahead, it's your project. I think that is a great uh, clarity for people uh, if they want to do this project. It's really for the personal growth. So I have one last question I ask everyone I interview. And it's your biggest Reiki oops. So many of us, you know, we've practiced for years and years, we're teachers uh, and we share our knowledge, but I think it's very precious to share those, those lessons we learned the hard way to say it in a polite way. Um, yes, there is one story that I would like to share. And indeed I'm telling this my students in my class. Though this is nothing I really have to be ashamed of. Of course, it's a mistake, but I think um, a mistake is just a bad word for an experience. I think as humans, we're making experiences and not mistakes. And from that, we can learn and others have the chance to learn. So for them, it might be easier to learn and they can always remind this. So what was happening? I was... Um, Reiki level two student, and we had the um, we have been asked to practice distance healing. So we found ourselves in a room with ten persons. Five were giving distance healing, and five were receiving. I had to work with a gentleman named Peter from Cologne, and he was sitting on his chair about ten meters away from me. So I've been there standing with four other and everything in pair. We have to give distance healing, distance, distance Reiki, and the other ones had to receive. And then we were asked to have uh, a feedback to share this. So I started being aware to be connected with Reiki, then uh, give this treatment to Peter, uh, starting with his head, with his forehead, uh, with a head region to let Reiki flow. And then I thought, oh, that's a nice lady on my side. She's attractive. That's exactly the kind of, I was single at that time, uh, exactly the, the, oh, she has beautiful eyes and I like her hers and how would it be to be with that girl? And <laughs> if we both would be Reiki practitioners and not just one part of a couple, but both, and we could share this and we could have a nice walk. How would it feel to hold her hands? And, and I said, what are you doing? You're asked to, do, to give a, a decent healing and not to care for the lady at your side. I said, okay, um, well, how many times did I lose with that? Okay, I do not the upper part of the body of Peter. I just start with his legs. So I gave the distance treatment to the legs, to the knees, to the feet. And then in the feedback, Peter said, Oliver, I have to ask you something. I felt your presence on my head. It was so much, so strong. But what happened then? It's like Oliver left the room. Nobody there anymore. Hello, Oliver, where are you? Nothing. And then you continue with my legs. So where the hell have you been in the meantime? What did you do? Where were you? I said, well, Peter, um, first of all, congratulations. You really are able to feel the Reiki energy. And what happened is that I was not really focused and I was more thinking about the lady at my side than giving you a treatment. Very sorry for that, but um, well, let's see this as a lesson. So when I'm telling this to my students, I say there are five different things we can learn from this, from this little example. The first thing is Reiki energy exists. The second is you can feel the Reiki energy. The third is you need to be focused when giving Reiki. So when you give Reiki, just give Reiki. Don't think about what to cook in the evening, what to buy tomorrow, um, having washed your car yesterday. So be in the moment, be in the now. 
And the fourth thing is be aware that focusing matters, that it makes a difference. And the last thing, be aware that skilled clients could realize. That, as you said, that is an amazing experience. And it's, it's incredible because as a teacher, like it gave you so much material to work from. And I, I just love that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Oliver. That was fantastic. You're welcome. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for your time, for your kindness. And this interview was so filled with wisdom. And also, I love how organized your mind is compared to mine. I go all Latin American over the place. And I really appreciate how articulate and clear your answers were. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. And I hope my English has been good enough. I'm not a native speaker, but sometimes I don't have the exactly right words. I have to look for other words that are more or less adequate. So I hope I could make myself understand and not to be to appear too much confused, not having the right words at the right moment. No, super clear. And I think in a way it's beautiful that, you know, I want to bring people from all over the world to this podcast. As you said, one of the beauties of your Japan experience was people coming together from different countries. Uh, and your English is quite astonishingly good, probably better than mine when I'm like not, you know, when I'm traveling with jet lag. And you have a nicer accent. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much, Oliver. And have a great week. And I hope I can, we can talk soon or meet you in person one day. Yeah, I hope so too. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Dive into Reiki podcast. You can read a full transcript of today's interview at diveintoreiki.com slash blog. If you found this episode helpful, please hit the subscribe button, leave me a review, or just share it with your friends. 